As you find your seats, I would invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 9. We're going to be in verses 11 through 14 this morning. Now, as we've studied the book of Hebrews, we continue to encounter this overarching theme of the superiority of Christ. And in the current section, our author is focusing his attention on the superior nature of the covenant that Jesus establishes, that is, the new covenant. He's making an argument for why it is that the new covenant is greater, is superior than the old covenant. And in particular, in our passage, what we will see is that the new covenant is superior to the old covenant because the new covenant is established through Christ's atoning death, which secures an eternal salvation. So hear now the word of the Lord, Hebrews chapter 9, beginning in verse 11. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, Purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. This is God's holy word for us, his people. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Oh, Father God, we come to you now in this time, and we pray that you would Lord, open our eyes to see and our ears to hear the truth of your word, and to get a greater sense of the value of the blood of Christ, and that we might trust the work of Christ on our behalf, placing no confidence in the flesh, but looking alone to what Christ has done on our behalf. It's in his name that we do pray. Amen. Now, of course, it's not always the case that something that is more expensive is of better quality, and yet, for the most part, that seems to be the case. If you want something of high quality, you're going to have to pay a high price. I remember when I was first called to be a pastor, I took a call as a pastor of a small church in South Carolina that had a rather limited budget. But one of the first things I had to do was pick out a new chair to sit in in my office. I spent a lot of time sitting, writing sermons, reading, doing office work, and so I needed something that would give me good support and that would last. But man, did I labor over this decision of what chair to buy. Because the church had a limited budget, and I didn't want my first act as a pastor to indulge in a very nice chair. 
I even called in an elder and said, what do you think I should do? And he said, well, if you want a nice quality chair, you're going to have to pay the price. But instead, I got a cheap one that fell apart within a couple of years. And this is the case for most things. There are cheap substitutes that are available. You can buy cheap shoes or mattresses, cheap cars, utensils, furniture, sunglasses, you name it, you can get it for cheap. But if you want something of quality, you're going to have to pay the price. And this is what the author is saying in the first point of our passage. Namely, that we can see the superior quality of the new covenant by the price that was paid to establish it. The new covenant is not a discount, it's not generic, it's not a knockoff. We can see its quality in the high price that was paid to secure it, namely the blood of the eternal Son of God. A few things we see in our text that reveal to us this high value of the blood of Christ. The first is that the blood of Christ is without blemish. Look at verse 14. There in the text it says that Christ offered himself without blemish to God. A diamond is valued on the perfection of its cut. An antique coin is valued on how close it is to its mint condition. A shirt that has a missing button or a stain on it is sold for discount. And the blood of Jesus Christ is said to have high value because it is unstained. It is unblemished. Now, this doesn't mean that the blood of Jesus is somehow superhuman blood. It doesn't mean that he didn't have, you know, a high triglyceride count or that he didn't have high blood sugar levels. Rather, what it means is, is that the life of Jesus Christ was unblemished by sin. We need to understand the logic here. You see, the blood is the representation of our life. And sin is the power of death. And therefore, when one sins, their life, their blood is corrupted by that sin. It is blemished by death. And death has come into each one of us because of sin. Therefore, our blood cannot give us life. We cannot offer our own blood to secure our life for ourselves or for anyone else. But Jesus Christ's blood is unblemished. For the Word of God teaches us that He is without sin. That he always did what was pleasing to the Father. He never broke God's law. And therefore, the blood of Jesus Christ can give you life. It has eternal life within it. For sin and death have no hold on him. This is why he says in John chapter 6, Whoever drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. 
That is, my blood has the power of life, and therefore, if you have faith in me and by faith receive the power of my blood, even though you die, the power, the life of my blood will cause you to be raised up on the last day, and you will have life everlasting. What would man give to drink such a potent medicine? Fortunes have been spent searching for the fountains of health and youth, but the blood of Jesus is without blemish, and therefore it is of the highest value, giving to those who would receive it in faith life everlasting. The second reason that the blood of Christ is of such value is because of its divine nature. Look at verses 13 through 14. It says, For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ? You see, the author is making this comparison of the lesser to the greater. In the Old Covenant, people were sprinkled clean by the blood of bulls and goats, animals that were sacrificed to have an outward purification of the flesh. But his argument is, how much more valuable then is the blood of Jesus Christ, the Son of God? How much more powerful is it to be sprinkled with His blood? When I was preparing this sermon... A little gnat was flying around my desk, and I smashed it without thought. We hire exterminators to kill bugs in our homes. But as we move from bugs to mammals, we must give a little bit more thought to our actions. It was easy to kill a bug, but it was difficult for me a couple years ago to have to kill the little mouse that got caught on the sticky trap underneath my sink. I had to kind of gear myself up to actually do it, right? It was hard to do that. We place more value on animals that are more highly developed. There are laws that protect dogs and cats from abuse, but no laws protecting bugs. And once we begin to speak of humans, we know that human life is infinitely more valuable than any animal, as much as we might value and love our pets there's no comparing them with our children for humans are created in the image of god and therefore from the point of their conception until death every human life is to be protected and cared for because of its high worth and value then what can we say for the life of the son of god if we have value because we are made in his image and our value derives from that divine image how much more value does his life have? And this is what the divine blood of Jesus Christ does. It establishes the new covenant because of its great value. You are redeemed by the divine blood of Jesus Christ. This is what Paul is saying to the elders in Ephesus. He says, care for the church of God. Care for God's people. Why do you need to care for God's people? 
It says, care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Now, it's important for us to understand, again, that the blood of Jesus that was offered is not superhuman blood. It was real human blood. The physical nature of Jesus Christ was completely human. He was truly and fully man. And yet, through the personal union of his divine nature and his human nature in one person, all that Jesus Christ does in his human nature is rightly spoken of as accomplished by God. And therefore, when the Word of God teaches us that Jesus poured out his blood, it is right and true for us to understand that God himself poured out his blood even as the book of Acts says. And that is the value of the blood of Christ. It is the very blood of God offered to redeem you. The third reason that the blood of Christ is of such value is because of the relationship between the Son and the Father. In John 3.16, we read, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. Right? How much... Does God love the world? What is the value that we place on the love that God has towards the world? That he was willing to give his only son so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. You see, the love of God is expressed by the fact that he was willing to give his son. He gave that which he loves above everything else. To understand the depths of the value of the blood of Jesus Christ, we need to understand the depths of the love between the Father and the Son. You see, to each of us, we would very easily say that we are to love God above everything else. We understand that it would be breaking the first commandment if we loved anything above God. It is, in fact, idolatry to love anything higher than we love God. Then the question is, what is it that, love, that God loves above everything else? What is the highest affection that God has? And what the Bible teaches us is that God loves His Son, who is God. And the Son, who is God, loves the Father, who is God. And the Spirit loves the Father and the Son, and the Father and Son love the Spirit. In summary, God loves God above everything else. That is how much value there is in the blood of Jesus Christ. It is the very thing that God loves more than anything in all of creation, in anything in all of the universe. It is the highest, it is the most valuable, it is the most loved thing in all of the world. And God gave it for you. That is the value of the blood of of Christ. So much greater than the blood of bulls and goats. Infinitely valuable blood of the unblemished Son of God. 
As the Apostle Peter says, you were ransomed, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. How do you have security that you have been redeemed by God? You look to the value of the blood that was offered, and you see the high price that was paid. And in it, see how much God loves you. To be secure in your redemption, you must know this price. You must see that you were redeemed by this valuable blood. And the second thing that we need to see is the power of the blood that was offered. We see the value, and now we see the power. And what we see in this passage is that the sacrifice of Christ does not produce a potential salvation, but an actual salvation. That is to say, the power of Christ's sacrifice secures the salvation of his people. Look at verse 12. There we read, He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. The power of Christ's sacrifice is seen in the finality of this work. Verse 12 says that Jesus offered his sacrifice once and for all. He does not need to repeat his work. The sacrifices of the Old Covenant, on the other hand, had to be made on a daily and a yearly basis. But Christ's sacrifice is a one-time work. The analogy isn't perfect, but you might think of the difference as the difference between buying a one-time ticket versus a season pass to get into a park, right? If you only buy a one-time ticket, each time you come back, you're going to have to pay again to get in. Whereas if you buy that season pass, you might pay a higher price, but you can come in and out as many times as you want all year long. Now, when it comes to the sacrifice of Christ, what this passage is saying is that it has such power that the sacrifice he made never has to be repeated. The price has been paid and is of such value that it does not need to be paid over and over and over and over again. It is done. It is signed. It is sealed. It is delivered. And it is so important for us to understand the accomplished finality of the work of Christ. Because so often we seek to add something to what Christ has done. We think, okay, Christ has done that work, but we need to add our little bit to that sacrifice so that then it is completed. And so within the Roman Catholic Church, they symbolically repeat the sacrifice of Christ each week in the Mass of the Lord's Supper believing that they are re-sacrificing Christ. But it's not just Roman Catholics that seek to 
add to the work of Christ. We evangelicals can do it ourselves, seeking to add our own work, thinking that if we add just a little bit of good deeds or some religious activities or even some self-punishment, maybe if I say the right prayer or I do the right work or if I have enough faith, then I can add to what Jesus has done and then the power of his sacrifice will be completed. But as Jesus hanged upon the cross, he declared, it is finished. The Father sent the Son to secure salvation, and once his sacrifice had been made, he declared its finality. It is done. Nothing else must be added to save my people. The second way we see the power of Christ's sacrifice in this verse is in the phrase, thus securing eternal redemption. Now, there's been much controversy in the church around this question. Is the redemption of Jesus potential in nature or secure in nature? Or to put it another way, did the work of Jesus make salvation possible for all people Or did it secure salvation for his people? We know that not all people are saved. The word of God is very clear that there are those who, when they die, will be separated from God for all eternity in hell. And therefore, we know very clearly that Christ did not secure salvation for all people, because all people are not saved. So was the power of his redemption limited to only making salvation available, waiting to see who would choose to believe to add their faith to his work? We would say no. The redemption of Jesus Christ is not limited in its power to accomplish salvation. Rather, his sacrifice secures salvation. It assures salvation for all of his people. For the Father has given the Son a people to save, namely the elect. And Jesus died not to make salvation possible for these people, but to secure salvation for them. Listen to the words of Jesus in John chapter 6. He says, All that the Father gives me will come to me. Right? Here we see the Father has given to Jesus all these people. All those who the Father gives to me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me. Okay, this is what God the Father sent the Son to do. That I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. The Father sent the Son not to accomplish a possibility of salvation for all, but rather to secure salvation for all that he gave to the Son. And I know that many will struggle with the doctrine of election and the implications of it. But I want for right now 
you to put on the shelf the questions about the implications of it and look at what this verse is saying about salvation that is eternally secured. It is not bringing it up for a point of speculation, but rather to give you security that your salvation in Jesus Christ has been accomplished. You have a debt of sin that you could never pay. You are dead in your sins and your trespasses. You see, the gospel is not that there is grant money available to those who are in debt if only you would apply for it. The gospel is the declaration that the debt has been paid and you have been freed. The infinitely valuable blood of Jesus Christ has been shed and you no longer owe that debt. The Father would never ask for more than the price of His Son's own blood, nor will He fail to give His Son the reward of His suffering. He would never say to His Son, I know you poured out your infinitely valuable blood to save these people, but they just aren't cooperating. So some of that blood is wasted. No, not one drop of the blood of Jesus Christ is wasted. Redemption is secured because of the work of Christ from beginning to end. It is finished. It is accomplished. It is eternally secure. God chose you before the foundation of the earth, the Word of God teaches. He loved you with an unconditional love, not based upon anything that you would do. He gave you to His Son and His Son for you. And He caused you to be born again, taking out your heart of stone and giving you a heart of flesh. He gave you the very faith that you first had in Him for your salvation. The Word of God says that He cleansed you. He forgave you. He adopted you. He is sanctifying you. He will bring you safely home. He will raise you up on the last day. And He will bring you into His eternal kingdom. This is the gospel. This is the good news. God saves sinners. Not that salvation is possible. Just fill out the application. But the power of the gospel is salvation that has been eternally secured by Jesus Christ. And if we only had a sense of the security of the accomplished work of Jesus Christ, we would live lives of continual praise unto God. Because our salvation is not rested upon us, but upon the accomplished work of Jesus Christ. You have been saved, Christian. And you will come into your eternal inheritance because of what He has done. This is how you will be secure in your salvation. You will see the infinite value of the blood of Jesus Christ shed for you. Second, you will know the securing power of the blood of Christ, the salvation accomplished. And the third thing that we see is the cleansing purpose of Christ's blood. Look down at verse 14. There we read, How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? 
And within the context of our passage, we see that the author is drawing in these themes of priests serving in the tabernacle. The priests would come into the tabernacle, and they would offer the service of worship to God in the outer court. We learned about last week, the holy place. But the high priest would enter the most holy place but once a year. Now, building on this idea, what the author is saying is that Jesus, serving as our high priest, has gone into this most holy place, into the very presence of God as our high priest, and he has, through the sacrifice of himself and the offering of his blood, opened the way for us to enter into the very presence of God as well. The dividing curtain has been taken away, and because of the blood of Christ, we are cleansed from our dead works to enter into God's presence and to serve Him. However, this work has occurred not in the earthly temple in Jerusalem, but rather in the true heavenly temple made by God Himself. This is the idea that's behind verses 11 through 12. You can look there. It says, But when Christ appeared as a high priest for the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, the greater, more perfect tabernacle that's not made with hands, right? People didn't make it. That is, not of this creation. He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, securing an eternal redemption. You see, what was the purpose of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ? It was to secure a royal priesthood who would be cleansed by His blood that they might come into the presence of God and serve Him. Listen to the way the Apostle Peter explains this truth in 1 Peter. He says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. This is the purpose of Christ's sacrifice, that you would be cleansed of your sin by his blood so that you through Jesus Christ might enter into the very presence of God and serve him and pray to him and worship him and proclaim his excellencies. In the old covenant, the blood of bulls and goats only afforded one man to enter the earthly most holy place and only once a year. But in Christ, all who are joined to him are cleansed and they're brought into the heavenly presence of God for all eternity. It might seem strange to you, but if you are in Christ, you are a priest meant to serve God. Jesus died as a sacrifice to bring you into the most holy place. This is his aim. This is his purpose for his sacrifice, that you would be completely cleansed, that you would be completely holy, so that you might go into the presence of God for all eternity and worship him. This is how you have security in your salvation. For you know that the Lord is, 
has purposed your salvation that His great name might be glorified. Now, the idea of blood can be a little disturbing sometimes. I had some friends in college, and before they were married, they had to have a blood test. Back in the ancient times, when I was the age of people getting married, my friends getting married, they had to have blood tests before you got married. And so they went into the lab to get their blood test, and the husband sat down to have his blood taken, and wouldn't you know, as the blood appeared, his poor wife passed out, and as she passed out, he passed out as well. And so they brought him back to and got him all settled and sat the future wife down to get her blood drawn. And wait, you know, she began to pass out again and he fell to the floor. Both of them passing out twice. The nurse said, my goodness, I hope that you don't have children that have nosebleeds. <laughs> but this idea of blood can make us feel a little squirmish. And there are those who even have said, you know, Christianity needs to move on from all of this bloody sacrifice stuff. You know, I, I, don't, I don't think I want to worship a God who would require the sacrifice of His own Son for our salvation. But there is no divorcing Christianity from the blood of Jesus Christ. It might seem too violent for us, but sacrifice is at the very center of biblical Christianity. We cannot hide from the importance of the blood of Jesus Christ, nor should we, because the blood of Christ is the power of the gospel. Without His blood, there is no redemption price paid, and we are still enslaved to sin. Without the blood of Christ, there is no redemption accomplished, and we are still separated from God. Without the blood of Christ, there is no cleansing of sin, and we remain guilty. Without the shedding of blood, there is no life given, and we will be eternally separated from God in our second death. But He has poured out His infinitely valuable blood unto death that we might truly be given eternal life, secure in the price that was paid, secured in the work that is finished, secure in the service that we are to offer to God, namely, His glory unto all eternity. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Almighty God, we come with absolute humility before your throne, knowing that salvation is all of you, that the price has been fully paid because of the shed blood of the Son of God. Would you cause us to love the blood of Christ as our life and our life everlasting? We pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.